are in a series where I'm talking verse by verse from Romans chapter 1. It's going to be awesome, and I am really looking forward to continue in this series. Last week we looked at Romans 1 verse 1, 2, and uh, 3, and today we're continuing from verse 4. Now, for those of you that slot in for the very first time, the Sunday messages that I have is teaching-orientated, theological, wherein we teach the Bible, teach verse by verse. So I want to welcome you here, and I want to tell you that as you listen to these messages and study with us, you will find that you get a deeper understanding of the Scriptures and how many of the concepts and uh, ideas of uh, the ancient people written in the Bible start to make sense to you and how it's got a great effect on your life today. Now, I'm quickly going to uh, just recap on what I said last week. The Bible says in Romans 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God by this. And in last week's message, I've explained what servant means. Uh, it d- doesn't mean that Paul was just a slave of God. doesn't mean that. Uh, but you'll have to go to the other message to see what I said on that. And then he was an apostle, a sent one. We also said that he had in his mind the time when the uh, when Jesus, the Lord Jesus, appeared to him on the way to Damascus and how from there the Lord sent him forth. And then the beautiful part that we get, got into was that he was separated or set apart or made holy to or unto the spreading of the gospel of God. We also said that this gospel is the good news message that God had from the beginning for man. And uh, if you've listened to the communion message that we've had prior to the service, I've used First John there, where I said that the word of life that was from the beginning, or the promise of life that was from the beginning, <clears throat> became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This eternal life is God. God is eternal life. This promise of eternal life then became flesh and dwelt amongst us and this is the good news of God that uh, became flesh so what Paul was then doing was he was actually saying that God had a good news message for humanity and the good news was that God would give eternal life to us and that we don't have to earn it by our own works um We then went and said that this, in verse 2, that it was promised. We've explained that. And then verse 3, what I want to recap there and what was important there was that Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was first made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and then he became the Lord in the resurrection. So there's a, a process that took place there, which we will look at a bit more today. What is important is that this this Jesus was fully human. And this Jesus that was fully human then became fully God as a human. That is important. And that's what we're going to look at more today. What we also said last week, and we defined, important to understand and not to forget, is that the Mesopotamian concept of a God, when we, today we're going to look at that, define Jesus as the Son of God, we have to understand what the ancient people understood by a son of God. We say today that we are all the sons of God. Uh, We are all the children of God. And what we think by that is that God made us. But that was not the concept that the 
ancient people had when it comes to a son of God. What they did was they would look at the um, human attributes and they would ascribe that to their gods in saying that, well, gods is basically like humans. But one thing they would not ascribe to the gods is... Uh, immortality uh, is mortality. The gods were the immortals, but people were the mortals. So they would say the gods can be angry, the gods can desire things, the god can want things, the gods can give commands, and all those kind of things. But one thing that the gods uh, that was not ascribed to the gods, which was inside man, was mortality. The gods were immortal. So. In if you would want to say that you are a son of a god, you would have to claim immortality. And we see that Paul comes here, he says that uh, in verse 3, concerning God's son, Jesus Christ our Lord. By that he's saying that he as a human being has immortality. And all the people of the ancient time, all the people in the uh, Roman Greco time would have understood should you claim that somebody is a son of a God, that he has eternal life and cannot die, has no beginning, has no end, he, uh, he is eternal, especially if you're the son of the most high God, meaning the first God, you cannot die, you've got no beginning, no end, none of that, almost like John 3 says that like the, the those who are born of the spirit is like the wind you don't know where they come from or where they're going you just see their manifestation they are eternal beings manifesting in that moment that is what he is uh, what what these people would have understood so recapping paul said that he was sent with a gospel of god and this gospel of god was promised from the beginning and that this gospel of God is now all about a man, Jesus Christ, who has then manifested or who's entered into as a mortal human, shedding his mortality, not his body, but the mortality of the body, was recreated, which is now called a new creation of the very same own body. Old body, so the old body was used as the clay, if you can put it like that, recreated, and now Jesus became a new creation where he was first bodily created in Mary as a normal mortal, but then in the resurrection he was then an immortal or manifested as a son of God. We also said last week that should a person see his mortal body and see that he doesn't possess immortality, but a voice came from heaven that declared that he is the son of a God, then uh, he would have the hope of immortality or the hope of should he die, the resurrection. Sounds a bit complicated, but I want you to just know all that we, are, we said last week is simply this. God had good news to man. Paul preached the good news. The good news was prophesied. And the good news was all about a man that was made from a mortal woman. Uh, Jesus and how this man then became and manifested as the son of God as a human and that was the good news that was has been from uh, the beginning now we go into today's message in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 it says that Jesus now this flows from verse 3 verse 3 it says that he was made of a woman or made according to the seed of David. 
talking about his physical birth. He says, so he was made according to the seed of David as a physical human, but he was declared to be the son of God with power, that means lordship or the authority to rule over sin and death, according to the Holy Spirit or the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Jesus having the spirit of life that is eternal and that can never pass away in that he attained in that he attained eternal life in the resurrection. We cannot read verse 4 without understanding the concepts at hand in this discussion. So what I'm saying is is that and this is a very important part for us. We struggle to understand this. It's a it's a hurdle in the mind of the church. We struggle with verse 3 which says that uh, concerning his son, Jesus our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, but declared to be the son of God, or we don't like to use that word, de- uh, we like to use the word declare because we struggle with a concept that is in Acts 13, which was the word begotten, which was actually begotten by the resurrection or in the resurrection by the Spirit of God. Now I want us to go to Acts quickly. Um, let's go to Acts. What? Acts, there it is. Acts 13, and we're going to read from verse 30 onwards. I want to read from verse 30. It says, God has fulfilled unto us the promises that God has fulfilled unto us the children of the people that God made promises unto, that he had raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. Now that's a very important passage. The reason why Paul preaches the fact that Jesus was made of a woman, but then became, or we can actually say, who in his body was then begotten of God is of importance because Paul preaches that because if you look at the rest of Romans, he bases his whole theology and the power unto a holy life in this one fact, and that is that God conquered mortality and whatsoever leads to death, which is sins, by the resurrection of the dead. That is what this is all about. It is about God raising the dead and God giving you then a holy life by the doing of God. Very important. Let us look at it again. I want us to to go over this again and again because there's a lot of um, what I would say tradition in our minds to cover uh, concerning this. Many times we don't have to just listen to something once. You hear it once, but that doesn't mean your mind has changed on it. There is some neuropaths in our brain, and our brain needs to build new bridges um, for us to think in a certain direction. So it's very healthy to repeat something and look at it again and again and again until we find a belief form in our hearts. What Paul is saying is this. God promised eternal existence to people. Eternal existence is only found in God. Man was mortal. God promises him immortality. We might say, what what is so significant about immortality? The beautiful thing about immortality or eternal life is, it is also a very high 
quality of life that's flooded with love and peace and goodness and kindness and all those kind of things. So what God promised us from the beginning is, I promise you a life wherein you will have love, wherein you will share in my compassion for others, wherein you will share in all the beautiful attributes that is found in a loving God. Plus, I will make that this life and the life that I share with you will not be be a short-term experience of me just loving you, but it will be me sharing my life in such a way with you that you would feel what it feels like to be me and me living in you, and I will seal you forever in that life. Now, if that is the objective that God has with us, we know, if we truly understand that, that we cannot attain unto that by our own works. It is only a gift from God. So, uh, what Paul was saying was this, this God, God became, God sent his word of eternal life. His word of eternal life was manifested in a mortal man, as a mortal that could die, remember Jesus could die. The baby Jesus could die. If you would j- drop Jesus uh, four feet or ten feet or whatever off something as a baby, he would have been dead. We need to understand that. Well, it's difficult for us to do, but that is the truth. Even Jesus, God commanded Joseph that he should fled, take him away to, I think it was Egypt, for some years until Herod was dead because Herod was seeking the life of the child. Now, somebody who cannot die doesn't hide away or get sent away by God uh, to be in a safe place because somebody's seeking the life or the soul of the child. So we find Jesus was made a mortal, a mortal being or a normal person, but then that being Jesus, the one that was made of a woman, which didn't have, which was in the power of an Adam or of all of humanity because he was fully created by God, not by an earthly father. That being, that Jesus then died and was then bodily reborn by the Holy Spirit. I said it last week and I want you to do this with me. If you think, I want you to imagine this. Imagine you die. You lie in your bed and you die. And then God raises you from the dead, but not a resuscitation of a corpse, as in the case of uh, Lazarus that was raised from the dead, but in the power of a new creation, a recreation unto an undying human that is in equality with God as pertaining to life, wherein you fully share in the eternal life of the only eternal life. Okay, so that means that when you open your eyes, and and we can imagine Jesus, Jesus dying as a normal man on the cross, he needs oxygen, he he needs breath, he needs food, he needs shelter, clothing, whatever to live. But on the cross... He's deprived of that. He's deprived of his very own blood. His blood flows out of him and Jesus dies. Now, some people say Jesus couldn't die. He gave his life. (laughs) What that simply means is that he made his life available to die. In other words, he said, I am willing. He wasn't, some say he wasn't murdered. Jesus wasn't murdered. He just died. Uh, He just gave, gave his life because he couldn't die. He was immortal. That is a complete twisting of the text. Because Peter said, just Peter said, 
you Jews murdered Jesus. That means Peter wasn't of your understanding. And there are many places in the Bible that says that they murdered Jesus. That if you hang somebody on a cross and you nail him there, after a while he's going to die should he be made of a woman. Uh, he's going to die. So Jesus uh, made his life available to hang on a cross and to then naturally die there to the point that he felt it is done. I am dying now. And then he said to his father, into your hands I give my spirit. The point that I'm trying to make is imagine Jesus being on the cross, breathing his lust. And then he opens his eyes in the tomb where he's raised from the dead. And as he takes his first breath, he knows that he doesn't have to take the second one to keep living as a human, but that the very life he, he has is now not deri de derived from natural life or what we would call animal life. But he, the life he has now is his whole body, every cell, he, everything in him finds his life from God's eternal life as the source needing nothing else. That is what happened in Jesus when he was raised from the dead. And that man that was raised there was declared as the Son of God. Now, Jesus was called the Son of God before the resurrection. Why? Because that's what the prophetic word said. That was who he was. But he was not manifested as the Son of God, meaning he still needed to be manifested or begotten in his body as the Son of God. Like us today, we are already, as believers, the sons of God, but we will find the manifestation of the sons of God, which is the salvation of our body or the physical recreation of our body, wherein we would find eternal life in our bodies. So Paul preaches this as a very powerful foundation and the absolute basis of the gospel of true what i would say orthodox theology he comes and he declares that the whole gospel is about god promising life to man man doesn't have life and he is now saving man from death and giving him as a full human the life of god now, let's read Romans 1, 4 again. And to declare to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. As we've read in Acts there, uh, Acts thirteen thirty three, You are my Son. This day have I begotten you. And that was the day when he was raised from the dead. So when was Jesus Christ begotten as an immortal son or where everybody could see he is the son of God according to Mesopotamian interpretation of what a son of God would be? He was seen to be the son of God by the resurrection. Peter would declare Jesus to be the son of God but then uh, uh, Jesus said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. In other words, what I see is, we've always defined that as people didn't tell you that. No, what he's saying to you is flesh and blood, meaning my body, by looking at my body, by looking at what you see here, that couldn't reveal to you that I was the Son of God. But the Father, who knows that I'm his Son, 
He has declared it, revealed it unto you. And then when Jesus was raised from the dead, people could say, truly, he is the Son of God. They could see him as the Son of God because he couldn't die. He was the resurrected Jesus. He then ascended on high by which he was, after his ascension, he was seated as an immortal human, the Son of God, in the authority wherein he could rule over all sin and all death on this earth so that by the power of God we can now uh, see God conquer our enemies, which would be things like bitterness, hatred, and so forth, and in the end, death itself. I would encourage you to rewind this message and listen to it again and ask God, show us. Like I said to, uh, to you in the beginning, this is a teaching service. We are teaching and we are walking through the scriptures, thinking, pondering, having our hearts deepened into what was actually written in the scriptures. Now we're going to verse 5, Romans 1, 5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. So he says, by uh, this Jesus that is the Son of God, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith amongst all nations for his name. So there's certain things that I want to look at there. Grace, we're going to look at grace. Apostleship is already dealt with yes, uh, say yesterday, last Sunday. And then for obedience to the faith amongst all nations for his name's sake. Now let us start off with grace. What is the meaning of grace? Grace is the influence on creation that comes from God on account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Grace is the influence of God on the created order, on creation itself, through the effect that the resurrected Jesus in bodily form now has on physical creation. So, we need to understand that when Jesus, as a physical human, was raised from the dead, and then as a physical human, was seated in equality with God, we, we sit with a, a part of physicality that has conquered the limits of this world. Yet it is not the case for him alone, for Jesus alone, since he's now been given the authority to rule and bring what is true in him into the earth. So we are now sitting under the effect of having a human that's immortal as God over this world to make what is true in him true in whatsoever is physical. That is what we are dealing with here. So as our minds sees ourselves as physical human beings, and we see that he's got that rule over us, we want, will find our hearts go to rest in the rule that he has over us, and so we will find his power bringing forth life in us today. The Greek definition for grace there simply means... Uh, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude, that which brings forth what is acceptable of benefit, favor, gifts, liberation, liberty, pleasure, and thankfulness. So it talks about the power 
of God bringing forth the very attributes of God. The power that can afford, that's rich enough to manifest in us the fullness of God. Okay, uh, then we're going to move on to the obedience to the faith. Obedience, when we look at obedience to the faith, we cannot uh, and we should not confuse obedience with obedience to commandments and laws. We have seen obedience to commandments and laws as this is a commandment and you obey the commandment by doing the commandment from where you seek justification or blessing or righteousness. We shouldn't see obedience like that. It says here obedience to the faith. So how do you obey a persuasion? What is the faith? The faith in the Bible times, Jesus' time, not Jesus' time, Paul's time and so, the faith was called the persuasion that people had in believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. That he is Lord, and then from his Lordship, we are expecting to live as well. Like that song I put on Facebook a while back, where it says, there ain't no grave that can keep this body down. And the end of the song is so beautiful, it says that, uh, if he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. And that is a faith. It is a persuasion that we have. And now what Paul is saying is that he received apostleship to see obedience to the faith amongst all nations. So what he's saying is that I have been sent with a revelation that this Messiah Jesus is not just the Messiah of the Jews, but this Messiah of all people. And now I'm going about and I am telling people that they should obey this faith. Now what that means is that they should submit to the doctrine that's based on the faith that Jesus was raised from, uh, from the dead where we have the expectation of the resurrection. Now let me repeat that. What is obedience to the faith? Obedience to the faith would be to submit to the doctrine that would be based on the faith that Jesus was raised from the dead from wherein we have the expectation of the resurrection. So if I say to you, Jesus was raised from the dead from where he rules over you, that believe upon him, giving you the expectation of the resurrection, that truth is a foundation from where we can build doctrine. That From that truth we will build the doctrine about the fulfillment of the law. From that we will build our doctrine as pertaining to tithing and sowing and reaping and all those things. If we have a doctrine that says Jesus was raised and from him, there's nothing you need to do. You trust him. He manifests his kingdom in you that believe by his Holy Spirit. You will say, doctrinally, we cannot say that we have to tithe to be blessed. Doctrinally, we cannot say that we have to do sowing and reaping to be blessed. Doctrinally, we cannot say that we need to walk around the town ten times in order to bind the devil so that we can do something. Doctrinally, we can say that we don't have to follow five principles to get God to bless our ministry or our marriage or any of that. Doctrinally, we can say this, that should Jesus be raised from the dead, and you believe upon that, and you have received the Spirit of God, and 
only base your life on this truth, that the Spirit of God will work in you a healthy marriage, healthy relationship with your children, uh, wisdom as pertaining to your finances, which the greatest would be contentment, meaning you can be happy wherever you are with with whatever you have. Like Paul said, if you just got clothing and a roof over your head, there would be content. It will work in you uh, generosity and kindness. That's how we build doctrine. And that's what he says here, that obedience to the faith uh, would simply mean to submit to the doctrine that is based on the persuasion that Jesus was raised from the dead from where we have the expectation of the resurrection. I want to look at obedience to a commandment versus obedience to a, uh, to a promise. Romans 6.17 But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So we find that there was a form of doctrine. The form wherein the doctrine was based is the death and the resurrection of Jesus, giving us the hope of the very same, wherein everything is based on God's power towards us and not our power to try and perform that. Verse uh, Romans 10, 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Elijah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, how is obedience measured in the New Testament? Obedience in the New Testament is to believe a report. Obedience in the old, under the Abrahamic covenant, was that they had to obey commandments. That they had to, not, not the Abrahamic, the, the Moses' commandments. It was they had to obey all those ten commandments and all those kind of things. They had to do that. And if they didn't do that, then they would perish. It was, there's a commandment, something that I needed to do. But in the new, obedience doesn't work like that. In the new, obedience works like this. Uh, Elijah even prophesied about it. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. How? For Elijah said, Lord, who has believed our report? What is the report and what is he talking about in Romans 10 there? Romans 10 talks about the resurrection of Jesus and the report that Christ was raised from the dead. Should you believe that Christ was raised from the dead and that you from that belief have a Jesus rule over you by the power of the resurrection wherein you can now sit back in the hope of him bringing forth what is holy and righteous in you, since you know that your members or your body and your actions and your mind is now all made available to the power of the Spirit to manifest Christ's work in you, as you rest in that, you will find that he brings forth the good fruit. So obedience in the New Testament is the belief of a report. How do you obey a promise? you believe it because what is the report the report is jesus died he rose and through his resurrection you've got hope of the very same how do you obey that you simply believe it so what paul was saying there in uh, verse 5 he says to them that i have been called and i by jesus we have grace which is god's influence on our lives 
on us as well as for you. And the reason why we have this grace and the reason why this influence is, is so that we can find people of all nations simply believing this truth. That is what he is saying. For obedience uh, to the faith of all nations. So I want to say to you this. The way you obey God is by believing that Jesus was raised from the dead and that you've got the same hope that you will be saved from death as well. And whatsoever would lead unto eternal life, whatever good work there is, is included in the package. Now, but you might say, Bertie, so you want to tell me all that I must do. You've said all these things because what Paul had in mind was only one thing, that we should just believe Jesus and that His Spirit will bring forth holiness in our lives. Almost like we are new creations, as if God is the author of my life. Almost something like, it is not I who live anymore, but Christ the ruler that lives in me now with his spirit and his life, almost like a kind of an incarnation or a recreation. Easy. Are you telling me that? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. That is what Paul preached. That is what he believed. He believed in God, the creator. Create in me a new heart, O God. Create in me love for people. Create in me you, the creator, Bring life forth in me since you have eternal life and from out of you and in you all things consist. That is what he's talking about here. Let us look at another example of the commandment in the Bible, obedience to the commandment of Jesus because we struggle with obedience in the church so many times. How do we obey John 6, 28, Then said they unto him, this is unto Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? They said unto Jesus, Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? So God has got works. And if we want to do what God is working us to do, what shall we do? In other words, God is busy in the earth with something, and we want to do, and we want to manifest, and have the effect of His work in our lives. What shall we do to basically be the manifestation of what He wants us to be in this world? He says, this is what God is working at. God is working at this that you believe in Jesus. So if you can come, and now we can understand Romans there, and let me just go to Romans quickly. It's a beautiful verse there. Um, Romans 10. If you have your Bible there, Romans 10 verse 9. This is what it says. It says, But if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So what is he saying? He's saying Jesus entered death. He believed the Father. The Father saved him from death and raised him up. Now, if you believe, listen to what it says, if you shall confess with your mouth, Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, is the Lord, meaning that the resurrected Jesus, 
that is the Lord now, rules over your sin and death, and you shall truly believe that God has raised him from the dead. So in other words, if you say, Jesus is Lord, but I don't believe he's Lord in that his spirit left his body and sit in heaven. No, I believe that he is Lord because he was begotten of God in the resurrection. When you believe that, he says here, then, and I want to use my own words, as Jesus was saved from the grave, in the same way you shall also be saved. Heaven and hell is not in, the traditional view of heaven and hell is not what he talks about here. The context of the salvation here is found in uh, Jesus being raised. And then just later on, verse 16, just after that, he is saying, but Lord, um, these people, how will they believe it? This is what he says. How will they believe that Jesus was raised if somebody doesn't preach it to them? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word or the message that Jesus was raised from the dead. Then it goes on in verse 16. It says, but who has obeyed the gospel? Who has believed our report as Elijah says? So the context is there was a report. Jesus was raised bodily. Then there was a report that he ascended and that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And then it says, in Jesus said in John, God is working at bringing forth the man, putting him under the law, taking him to the cross so that he can be raised from the dead, so that we can believe on him whom he has sent. When he talks about the one that was sent, he's talking about Jesus, the resurrected, that was sent by God or given by God to save man. That is what he is talking about. Glory to God. And Paul says that this message of the resurrection is to be preached unto all people. It's unto be preached unto all people, be they Jews or Gentiles, ending the whole theology that the Jews had that they have a Messiah. This Messiah will save them from Gentile oppression and that they will be, the, as a Jewish nation, the people that would be ministering spirituality to the world as well as uh, governance of the law to all nations wherein there will be peace in the earth. That whole teaching was thrown out of the debate. When Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to Paul and showed that he has conquered the death of both Jew and Gentile, offering eternal life to all nations. Redefining Jewish theology, redefining uh, Israel's view on the scriptures, bringing clarity, redefining because he's bringing truth. Amen. Well, We've come to the end of today's message. Uh, we will continue with this then next week. Thank you so much that you've slot in. Make sure that you connect to us on Facebook as well as via WhatsApp. Uh, connect with us via WhatsApp. I send a daily devotional via WhatsApp. If you don't know what it is, Google it and get it onto your phone. It's a wonderful app wherein I can share daily devotionals with you from Mondays to Thursdays. So I will see you again then next week and know that you are blessed by God and eternal life is yours. Amen.